One of the most famous paintings ever produced is Las Meninas, in the English, The Maids of Honor. It was painted by the Spanish artist Diego Velazquez, and you'll find it on display in the city of Madrid. You'll have other artists, fellow artists, people in league with him and his peers, and they'll come and they'll drool over the unusual nature of the composition of this particular painting. And there is no doubt it is an iconic piece. As is, of course, the Last Supper, the Starry Night, and so many others that you and I will know about. Many superb canvases have been painted for us and produced on the pages of Holy Scripture. But in my estimate, what we have here tonight, looking at Isaiah 25 and verse 11, we have one of the most memorable word pictures that I have ever seen. He shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them as one as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And he shall bring down their pride together with the spoils of their hands. The Royal Humane Society of England was established in 1774, and the object of that society being formed was simply this, to applaud and to reward those who would rescue life out in the deep. So anybody who ever saved a soul from drowning, they would have all the details of their bravery inscribed on a public record. And then a blue and a gold and a bronze medal with an anchor and its appropriate inscription would have been pinned upon their chest. It is a lovely thing to see a soul saved from drowning and to give that person some little extra in their earthly life. It's an even more wonderful thing to see a soul being saved from sin. And what we have in the picture here is simply this. We have God as a strong swimmer, that's the picture, and he is striking out to push down sin and so save the souls of men. And he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them, as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And so in these moments tonight we're going to examine to some degree, this grand picture, the Son of God stepping forward, spreading forth his hands in the midst of them as the swimmer spreads forth his hands to swim. Now, to get the full force of this very impressive picture, we need to realize, first of all, that our race is in a sinking condition. Our race is in a sinking condition. And so we're talking about immersion here. Sometimes we hear people and they begin to discuss the power of words and maybe a favorite word or one that they really like and it could be most beautiful in terms of their idiom. Some of the most beautiful words in our language, what would they be? Well, one man will say, I like the word home. When you're away on holiday or away somewhere and you're thinking it's not long until we get to home again, all of a sudden that word has incredible warmth. Another will say, well, I like the term mother because that's all embracing and again that fills my heart with joy and expectation. Another will say, well, it's the word 
Jesus. And what better name can we have than that? We read about that name, the granting and the giving of it, in our Bible reading tonight in Matthew chapter 1. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But for a moment or two, I want to travel away from the beautiful end of the spectrum and the scale, right to the opposite side of that same spectrum and scale, and say that the bitterest word in all of our language, the most angry word, the most terrible word, the word that is connected with all the trouble, the word that accounts for all of the hurt and the hatred and the pain and the distress and the outrage and the torment, and that word, of course, is sin. We spell it with only three letters in our English language. And yet those three letters, they transcribe the whole circumference and they pierce the diameter of everything that is bad on earth and in hell. And if you come along and you add another three letters to that same word, then you're going to have ourselves brought into the picture because we have sinners. When we add three letters here to sin, we have broken, we have outraged, we have dismembered, we have shattered the law of God, and we haven't done it occasionally, a kind of a now and then, and maybe an odd time we will do it, and most times we do not, but we do it continually. And so the Bible describes us, for example, in Jeremiah 17 and verse 5, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Paul, writing in Romans 3 and verse 23, he tells us, just in case we think we have slipped the net here and it doesn't apply to us, he tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So in the eyes of God, as he looks down on me, what does he see? How does he define me? He sees a sinner. And you know what the Bible confirms in both Testaments, Old and New Testament? Our own conscience confirms. After Judge Morgan had sentenced Lady Jane Grey to death, his conscience troubled him so much for that terrible deed that became insane. And all through that insanity, Judge Morgan kept saying, Take her away from me, Lady Jane Grey. Take her away from me, Lady Jane Grey. His conscience was alive and troubling and tormenting him. No matter a woman ever does wrong, no matter how great, no matter how small, but their conscience is stirred up, brings the issue before them, and every step of sin that they're taking, it will say, wrong, wrong, wrong. Sin in this world is an ailment that is only in its first stages, giving hints as it travels along and snakes its way across our globe, giving hints of its destructive power. And many times we don't see it for being the terrible force that it is. But when it drags us down into the grave, and when it pulls us out before the judgment of Almighty God, and when it damns us in hell forever, then we will know how terrible sin really is. 
And after a thousand quadrillion years have trundled past in that unending eternity, and it has tormented your soul over this unimaginable length of time, and sin in hell is increasing rather than decreasing, what then? What will our estimate be? But at that stage, it is too late. If we could tonight see our unpardoned sins as God sees them, I tell you, our teeth would chatter, our knees would be knocking together, our breathing would be labored if not choked, our heart would be breaking, and if our sins are not yet forgiven then, they are pressing down upon us, and under that weight of sin we are sinking, sinking away from happiness, we are sinking away from God, we are sinking away from everything that is good and everything that is blessed, and we are sinking forever. What do we need? Well, in the context and in the picture of our text, we need a swimmer. We need a strong swimmer. And here in Isaiah 25, 11, we have an announcement made about his appearance. And he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them, as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And so our nation, our race in its entirety, in this sinking condition, immersion, there's an answer. And the answer is found in this strong swimmer. For if we're sinking, immersion, the swimmer speaks of intervention. Intervention. And you will know if you're a swimmer at all that in the act of swimming, The arms are going to be fixed. The hands will drive the water back. The knees are going to be active in there. The feet as well. The head will be tossed back. The whole body will be in propulsion going through the water. And when Christ dived into the deep to save us, he threw his entire nature into that work. All of his Godhead in terms of his knowledge and his goodness and his love and his power and all of that humanity of his, his head, his heart, his eyes, his hands, his feet. You see, we were so far right into the sea, and we were so deep down under the waves, and we were so far away from the shore that nothing short of an entire God could save us. And Christ Jesus leaped out for our rescue, and all those surges of man's hatred and satanic hatred, they beat against him. Those who watched him go from the gates of heaven, those angels feared that he would go under the wave and instead of saving others, might himself perish. But putting his chest to the foam and shaking the surf from his locks, he came on and on and on until tonight he's within reach of perishing sinners. His entire nature and energy were involved in this redemption. That's why. That's why he came to Bethlehem. Matthew 1 and 21, he shall, this is the purpose in his coming, save his people from their sins. Luke 19 and 10, again spelled out in the clearest of terms, for the Son of Man is come, what to do? To seek and to save that which is lost. 
In 1 John 4 and verse 14, John concludes, We have seen and do testify. We have seen it with our own eyes. We rub shoulders with Him that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone is going out to rescue the drowning, he must be independent, self-reliant, able to go alone. If he goes out and then he finds, I don't have enough strength to keep myself up, never mind keeping someone else up alongside of me, then he will sink. And instead of dragging one corpse out of the torrent, you're going to have two. When Christ dived into the sea of sin to deliver us, his Father left him alone. And on that cross he cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Alone in the winepress, alone in the pain, alone in the darkness, alone in the mountain, alone in the sea. And if he saves us, he will have all the credit. For he looked around. And there was none to help. They all forsook him and they fled. No oar here, no life raft here, no ladder here. It wasn't an armadam that sailed down and saved us. It wasn't a whole fleet of battleships that were brought out there onto the sea to sail over the waves and come for our rescue. It was one person independent and alone, spreading forth his hands in the midst of them, as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And I pray tonight that your cry will be lifted both loud and long, that you'll send up the distress signal, that you'll be crying, Lord, save me, I perish, until Christ the swimmer will come and take you before you drop a thousand fathoms down because here's the fact a man who will not pray plead for mercy that man will perish and he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim keep the picture of a drowning soul going under the waves, and Christ, the strong swimmer, coming through those waves in your mind. Our first port of call, our race is in a sinking condition, immersion. Our race needs the strong swimmer, intervention. And finally, our race needs that strong swimmer now, immediacy. Immediacy. The plaque was unveiled on the 29th of October 2014. Mayor to the Houses of Parliament in London in Victoria Tower Gardens in recognition of Sir Thomas Frank's outstanding efforts in saving London from drowning on 121 occasions, especially during the London Blitz in World War II. What he did was he organized special rapid response teams. They got out onto the job and they repaired public services after they'd been destroyed by Luftwaffe bombs. This is exactly 
the kind of salvation the sinner needs. This is the kind of intervention you require. A rapid response. Why? Because your case is urgent and it's imminent and it's instantaneous. What the Savior does here, see that soul sinking. Son of God, lay hold on him. It's his last door for mercy. Be quick. I wish that everybody could understand how urgent this gospel is. I want to persuade you tonight to lay hold upon this strong Savior. Don't be trusting the driftwood that everybody seems to be relying upon of good works because you'll perish holding on to that. It's not saving. Don't be depending upon the splinters of your own righteousness because they're useless in the eyes of a holy God. Stop your doing. That's the long and the short of it. Stop your doing because Christ will do everything or nothing. You can't lift a gram. You can't move a millimeter in this matter of salvation. Only Jesus can rescue you and carry you safely back to the shore. Well, what are you saying to me? I'm saying, fling those two empty hands of yours the arms of your trust and your love and your dependence, fling them around this omnipotent swimmer of the cross and say, not the labors of my hands could fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No, could my tears forever flow all for my sin? Could not atone? Thou must save and thou alone He shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them, as he that swimmeth spread forth his hands to swim. To realize where you are before God is vital, on the verge of the most terrible tragedy, on the waves of the brimstone sea, sinking, sinking, sinking. Does anyone listening to me feel that they are spiritually sinking from horizon to horizon? You scan it, and there's not a seal indicating any rescue in sight. There is only one strong swimmer with head flung back, with arms spread out, as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And tonight, another opportunity for heaven is closing. Closing. Closing quickly. After the ending words in our meeting, there will be two mighty currents flowing. One current bearing souls mightily towards heaven, the other bearing them mightily towards hell. And in one or the other of these two currents, you will be found. Seek ye the Lord, while he may be found. Call ye upon him, while he is near. The hymn writer said, soon will the season of rescue be o'er. Soon you will drift to eternity shore. He is then, O sinner, no time for delay. And if I can make the hymn fit the picture here, call for that swimmer, your Savior today. He shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them as he that swimmeth 
spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And I trust you'll be the one appealing, Lord, save me. Come for my rescue and get me tonight.